Thank you, Steve. And congratulations again to you and Bonnie as you celebrate this anniversary. Well, are you ready to study the Word? Take your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. There are six verses written by the Lord to the church at Sardis. Let me remind those that may be new of the same outline that can be used to study each of the seven letters. There is first always a revelation of the character of Christ, something unique, something relevant about Jesus is always revealed first before anything else is said. Then generally there, there is a commendation that comes from the Lord as he walks in the midst of the church, something he saw he could commend. Then a piece of criticism, for none of the churches are perfect. And then the correction that would come. What God wanted them to do to remedy what was wrong. And then following that, a challenge. With the challenge also a promise if they would respond. The difference between teaching and preaching is that teaching shares information so that we can be better equipped in knowledge. Preaching calls for a decision. It brings us to a place of choice. We must respond. And even the lack of response becomes a response. So the difference between teaching and preaching needs to be identified. What we're doing this morning is preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we share these thoughts, we are always confronted with a decision how will I respond to that truth? Let's look together at these first six verses of Revelation chapter 3. And unto the angel or leader of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If there thou shalt not watch, I will come to thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Immediately, let me identify that character quality of Jesus Christ revealed in verse 1. Always there is a relevance to the rest of the passage. It is Jesus who has the seven spirits of God. Seven we identified the very first day we began this series 
as being the number of complete or fulfillment so that he is identified to this church as the one who represents or has the fullness of the Spirit of God. Let me submit to you that nothing else about Jesus Christ would have provided the answer to the particular church written to this morning. For he said, I have a criticism. This is the only church we have dealt with so far that there was no commendation. So we pass right by that part of the outline. There is nothing for which Jesus gave them commendation. But he begins by saying, I have somewhat against thee. And he said that you have a name. I know thy works. You have a name that lives, but thou art dead. What else could they possibly have as an antidote for that kind of a revelation except that they know Jesus Christ who is the fullness of the Spirit of God. For as the body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead, James says. So the body without the Spirit is dead. In essence, then, what Jesus observed by walking through the church at Sardis was that they had an appearance, much like the appearance of a loved one when we walk into a funeral parlor and we look at what once was a viable body and they now have, by cosmetology, given it the appearances that it's still alive. There's rouge on its cheeks and there's lipstick on its mouth and, and every hair is in place and it's dressed in a fine suit of, of clothing and it looks very much like it once did. Having a name that is alive but are dead. You see, when the spirit is separated from the body, that body is dead. The revelation of Jesus Christ to the church of Sardis is, I am he who hath the seven spirits of God. I am he who has the answer to that lifeless form that's laying there. Jesus Christ, who is our life. And what the apostle John said, for the life is in the Son. And he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son shall not see life. Let me illustrate this from what I just was able to share on vacation. My wife and I had an opportunity to drive into Lexington, Kentucky and visit there the State Horse Farm Museum and to see the different kinds of horses that are there. And as we drove onto the grounds there was a massive monument to man of war. How many recognize the racehorse named man of war? That'll date some of you. But by listening to the guide, she said this horse was a magnificent specimen of, of thoroughbred racing. He ran 33 races, or won 33 races, major races in his life. Lost only once. 
And that was because the other jockeys boxed him in and would not let him get out to run free. And the horse, ironically, that beat him, his name was Upset. And Manowar raced against him three other times and beat him all three times. And the guide said that the other owners refused to run their horses against Manowar because they would concede victory. They said it's no use even going to the track because he is so much faster. They wanted to weight him down uh, so he was carrying a lot more weight than all the other horses and his owner said no, I'm not going to do that to him. When an outstanding racehorse is buried, they, they bury the head, the hoofs, and the heart. The head to uh, represent his intelligence, the hoofs to represent his fleetness of foot, and his heart to represent his strength and stamina. But in the case of Man of War, because of his outstanding feats as a racehorse, he was the first one ever to be totally embalmed and buried uh, as a total horse uh, in a hand-carved oak casket. And then on top of, of his grave was the monument that we could see to Man of War. Now as magnificent as this animal was, and when he was buried, all of the same essentials that made him great was there except one. He still had the same bone structure. He still had the same heart. He still had the same lungs. He still had the same head, the same hoofs. He still had the same muscle structure and same circulatory system. It was all still there. The only thing missing from the moment the spirit left that great stallion, he could not win another race even against the slowest workhorse in the world. Because once the spirit leaves the body, that body can produce nothing more. The challenge to the church this morning is that we can have a name that lives but be dead when the spirit leaves the body. Now we're not talking about physical death here, we're talking about spiritual death. The Lord is writing to a church concerning the spiritual condition. He took the pulse of the church at Sardis and found none. And he said, you have a name that lives. And he took the stethoscope and listened to the heart. And he said, I can't find a heartbeat anywhere in this body. Once vital, once alive. And I'm sure that the Lord's assessment must have come as a great shock to the church and the saints at Sardis. Because they looked upon themselves as a very vital and, and vibrant church. You have a name, a reputation that lives, but reputation and reality can be two totally different things. And so as we examine this passage of Scripture, the challenge that we face as believers this morning is that we be people of reality and not people of reputation. How many would agree with me that Pentecost is not a denomination, but an experience? Charismatic is not a denomination, not a tag or a title, but is an experience of being filled with the Spirit of God. I am he that has the fullness of the Spirit. The revelation of Jesus was tailor-made as the antidote for the problem that the church at Sardis experienced. They needed the Lord 
who was the fullness of the Spirit for this body that once was alive, now is dead. You have a name that lives, a reputation. And it's not so much how we see ourselves this morning or how other churches see us, but how does God see us? Would you notice with me the last part of that one phrase? I think it's verse 2. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now you need to let those few words penetrate deep enough to challenge us this morning to recognize that it's not what people's opinion might be of us or our opinion of ourselves, but it is what God assesses of our spiritual life before God. Because it's before his eyes, really, that reputation and reality are sorted out. And we can have a name that lives and if we had time enough this morning, we could explore what constitutes a live church. What constitutes a dead church? Is it uh, activity? I'm sure you would agree with me that activity alone would certainly not qualify as identifying a church as being alive in God. He said, I recognize some activity. I know your works. And I know your reputation. But I have not found your work perfect before God. Would it be organization? As good as organization is, there's nothing more organized than a graveyard. When you go to Arlington, you can look in any direction and there's a straight line of crosses. They've got that place completely organized. Organization alone is not an indication of life. Well, how about vitality and enthusiasm? Surely that would create a reputation of being alive. Well, that church is really alive. Are we alive because we clap our hands and raise our hands and sing fast choruses? Is that, does that constitute vitality in Christ? or being alive in God. No, friend, it takes the presence of the living Christ, whether in silence or in, in vitality, it takes the presence of Jesus who has the fullness of the Spirit. That's what makes a church alive. The fullness of the Spirit of God, necessary. I am he that has the seven spirits of God. And the reputation really is not the important thing, it is the reality. And you see what happens at times, the reality and the life of Jesus Christ manifests itself genuinely in enthusiasm. That word in theos, which means in God, or God in us. There's something alive about that. And when God is living in us, we are living in God, something wonderful happens manifesting itself in a visible way. In our worship, it becomes spontaneous and genuine. 
In our prayer, it's not mechanical, but it, it's real. It's conversation between my spirit and God's. They that worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. He seeks those who will worship Him that way. The problem is that when those things that came as a result of genuine life in Christ manifestations of life that were real when Christ's life becomes less and less we feel as though perpetuating those activities are equivalent to the reality that we once enjoyed that produced the spontaneity so we have a reputation of being alive we see ourselves as being alive others might see us as being alive but what we are doing is continuing in an activity once genuine once real once alive but now mechanical and routine and something less than real in God I don't know about you I don't want the Lord to walk in the midst of Monroeville Assembly of God and see us continuing in routine or by mechanics or by rote something that once was alive that now is routine I want not a reputation but I want the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ having names that live no but are dead you see as magnificent as a human body is trained can run a hundred yards in less than ten seconds do marvelous wonderful feats but the minute that spirit is missing it cannot even move a muscle it is not by might nor by power but it is by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts there is no substitute for the Spirit of God in the body of Christ there is no substitute, and I'm going to say this till I get an amen, in the body of Christ for the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God. There is no substitute. There is no program that can substitute for the presence. We've got to have the presence. Come into His presence. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. And whatever we do, coming from a genuine, honest expression of love and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because we're familiar with the activity, not because we're familiar with the action, but because of the reality that we experience and enjoy in Him. Let's move down just a bit to what he has identified as the answer. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received. And I think it's good for us to go back and remember, be sure that history is current with today. 
Let me say to you this morning, how current is Pentecost in your life? Do you look back to a date, or are you fulfilling the mandate of Ephesians, which says, be being filled with the Spirit of God? How long has it been, really, since you launched out into that praise language and that prayer language that God gave you at the moment you were filled with the Spirit? Or could you, in your mind, say, Pastor, I honestly have to say I can't remember when it was last that I used the gift that God has given me to worship Him, singing in the Spirit and singing with my understanding also, praying in the Spirit and praying with my understanding also. I really can't tell you how long it's been since that river of living water ushered from the inside of my being. Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Oh, let me challenge you this morning that it's not something we look back to as a date and experience of the past, but God wanted it to continue in us perpetually. A spring of water that doesn't fail. A river of water that continues to flow out of our innermost being. Remember, therefore, how they has received. Remember that day? Remember how it felt? Remember how great it was? I do. And heard and hold fast, repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come as a thief. Thou shalt not know what hour I will come. This was of particular historical significance to the people that this letter came to because Seresus, Wealthy king. Some of you might remember an old saying, as wealthy as King Seresus. How many have heard that or remembered that? Gold is still associated with him. Well, he was the king of Sardis and had it in his mind to conquer the world and took his army out against Cyrus, and Cyrus soundly defeated him. He crawled back into Sardis in his mountain place of refuge, and on three sides it was it was protected by a sheer cliff of 150 feet uh, long, or some one side 1,500 feet, and just a small passage into the main gate. Feeling so secure, they didn't even put a watch on the wall. Cyrus came and sieged and camped around the outside, and for about a week or so, they're wondering how they could penetrate such a fortress as this until one man saw another soldier sitting on the wall lose his helmet and it fell off and down the cliff and he climbed over the wall and climbed down retrieved his helmet climbed back up again so cyrus said huh if he can do that we can do that and so at night he dispatched about 15 of his soldiers to climb that wall scale that wall climbed over opened the gates and they walked in and conquered the city not only did it happen once, but about three centuries later, 200 B.C., names were different, but the incident was almost identically the same, feeling so secure in their, their fortress at Sardis. The adversary sent just a small scouting party up the, up the wall, in the gates, set it on fire, opened it up. They were totally destroyed. What the Lord is saying, if you don't watch... If you're not awake, if you're not alert, what you have seen happen in history is going to happen to you spiritually. If you're not awake, you need to be 
watchful, set a guard here and understand the, the consequences. I'll read it again. Remember how thou hast received, heard, lay hold and repent. If thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. Thou shalt not know what hour I come to thee. I wish we had real time to develop verse 4 because there's some great promises there. I have a few names in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh will be clothed in white raiment. Raiment in the Bible is always descriptive of character. Remember Isaiah said before we are saved, our robes, our own righteousness was as filthy rags. But when we read Revelation 19, that the white robes, the right white raiment is the righteousness of the saints or righteous works of the saints of God. We shall walk with him in white. I'm, I want to be a part of his bride, don't you? Presenting to him without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I want to be able to walk with him down the aisle. The one to whom I've been espoused, I want to become his bride. Hallelujah. I'm waiting for the lover of my soul to return. I'm waiting for the lover of my soul to return. When that's not real, when he is no longer really the lover of your soul, church becomes a bore. Church is much too long. Sermons are much too long. And you're waiting for the amen to be said so you can get to the parking lot and get to the car, get to lunch. But when you are in love with Jesus, you love his presence. You want to be in his presence. The thing you look for and long for more than anything else is the opportunities that you have to be together with the saints of God where he is in the midst of us. And oh, there is nothing in the world to compare it with anything that Jesus can come and walk in our midst and manifest himself to us. It's not a bore, it's not a drag, it's not a drudgery. It is a delight of our soul. And I want to be his bride. I'm in love with Jesus this morning. How about you? And I'm here because of that relationship of love. He first loved me, and I love him. Verse 5, he that overcometh the same will be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I mentioned first in Exodus 32, 32, where Moses was interceding for the people of God. God had it. He said, I'm going to start over. I'm going to wipe out this people. And I'm going to start over with you, Moses, and I'm going to build a whole new nation of people. And Moses said, God, don't do that. In fact, if you can't restore these people, blot my name out of the book of life. And so in intercession, he hung on to God, and God answered his prayer and restored Israel again. Luke chapter 12, Jesus to his returning disciples, they were all excited about the devils being subject to them, and he said, well, that's good, but I would rather that you rejoice in the fact that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Philippians, Paul talks about 
uh, Eodius and Syntyche and several other people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In the book of Revelation chapter 13 and 17, those who follow the Antichrist whose names are not in the book of life. Revelation 20, when the books are opened, only those enter the kingdom of God whose names are found written in the book of life. So how serious a matter he presents to them in saying, I will not blot out your name. If you will overcome, if you, if you respond in repentance, I will not blot out your name. Now I know there could be a great debate this morning between those who feel it the truth of eternal security against those who feel eternally insecure. So we're not going to enter that, but I don't believe Jesus makes idle threats. And if he said, I will not blot out your name from the book of life, the inference there is that it is very possible that your name may be blotted out of the book of life. The call of the Holy Spirit this morning in this message is for those who once really had a vital relationship with Jesus Christ and who today that relationship is not what it once was. And indeed, the most natural thing in the world if a person dies is to take their name off the roll. If today I cease to live my name will be deleted from the membership roster of Monroeville Assembly of God. If I died, I would be deleted from the tax rolls of the state of Pennsylvania and of the government of the United States of America. There are a number of credit cards that my name would be deleted from their, from their billing. I, my name would be, it's just the nat most natural thing in the world if someone dies, their name to be deleted from the roster. When you die, this church had died. These, some of these folks had died spiritually. You have a name that lives but are dead. And the most natural thing, if you die, is to take your name off the roll. And I don't know this morning how vital your life is in Jesus today. But if it's not what it was and you have drifted to the point where you don't read the Bible anymore and you don't pray anymore and you come to church but it's, it's a drudgery and a duty, I want you to know you need him who has the seven spirits of God. And I believe that he has brought this message specifically for your benefit so that you can be revived. We talk about revival. What is that? It's someone who's lost consciousness and who needs CPR. 911. I believe that 911 is ringing in this room this morning. For some, it's an emergency. For some, it's an emergency. You've been going through the motions. You've been mechanically going through the same routines, but the life isn't there anymore. 
And it's just been a long time since you have felt the presence of God and the reality of the Lord and reputation. People would look at you and say, yes, they're a Christian, but deep down inside you know your life in God is not what it was, what it needs to be. You need this morning resuscitated by the Spirit of God and brought back into the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. I believe in intercessory prayer. I believe in breathing for someone until they can breathe for themselves. Some lives are saved by that method where someone who is alive and healthy will bend over someone who is about to die or has died and will breathe for them until they can breathe for themselves. And I believe in spiritual intercession and spiritual CPR. And maybe someone comes to your mind this morning that you need to say, yes, Lord, I hear the phone ring, and I'll answer 911. And I will breathe for them until I hear them begin to breathe for themselves. Hallelujah. I believe God has that kind of ministry available to us. Some lives will be lost unless someone resuscitates them in prayer. Father, I pray that you will minister today to us. I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to see people not only come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, but at these altars we will see people filled with the Holy, Holy Spirit. We will see them enter into their godly inheritance and receive the gifts that you have available to them. I pray, Lord, that as a, a, routinely this church would be a place where lives are transformed at Calvary and enter into the fullness of all that God has provided through the resurrection. I pray, Lord, that routinely we will see the fruits produced by the Spirit of God, the productivity that gives good indication of life. For anything that is productive is alive. It is not productive. That which bears not fruit is cut off, gathered and burned. We only have to look to the parable of that vine and the branches to know it once was a vital part of that vine. And it withered, ceased bearing fruit. And Jesus gave that parable. He said that which once was alive and once was a vital part of that vine was severed from the vine, gathered and burned. Lord, I pray that you'll challenge those who may be here this morning with this word of revival. 